0: This is a very exciting time to be alive. Some of you don't look as excited as you should. This is a very, very exciting time to be alive. And some people are, they're postured, they're postured in fear, right? They're not really, they're not really understanding what might be next. But that's not the church, right? That's not us. We're not postured in fear. We're postured in a way of, uh, we know what's next, right? And we know. We know that Jesus is coming and that he's returning. We know what he's returning for. And I want, to take you, uh, I want to take you to a book in the Bible. I'm actually going to teach all the way through an entire book of the Bible today. And I said that in the van on the way here. My 10-year-old uh, looked at me. We'll dismiss the kids to go, I'm sorry. And my 10-year-old looked at me and uh, he said to me, Dad, you're going to teach through an entire book of the Bible that's going to take like more than three hours, right? You're going to read a little bit, and then you're going to preach a little bit, and then you're going to read a little bit more, and then you're going to preach a little bit. And I said, buddy, it's the book of Jude, right? It's just, it's just one chapter long. It's just 25 verses. And so I want you to turn there in your Bibles today to the book of Jude. If, you're, if you don't know where it's at, go to Revelation, turn left. It's right there, okay? Book of Jude book of Jude. Very powerful book here, Uh, probably written somewheres um, between the year 67 and the year 80 AD. What, What does that matter? Well, this was written in that first period of time after Jesus died. Second thing that you need to understand or that you need to know, this was written by Jude, the, the half-brother of Jesus. So it's really powerful here, this, this account, and it's it's only 25 verses long. We're going to teach all the way through it. We're going to preach all the way through it today because this is a letter to the church to prepare the church. When we look at the when we look at these epistles in the new testament uh, that were written to different churches even revelation within its apocalyptic writing which means that there was there was meanings and things hidden in the writings it was all intended for the preparation of the church these are prophetic letters we don't look at them as prophecy necessarily but they're prophetic letters because they were intended to prepare the church For Jesus' return that we would be ready. And so we look at this letter uh, in in the book of Jude and we just began reading in Jude 1 and it says, Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ he's speaking to the body there and we should just stop for a moment and 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 maybe highlight that in our app or on our bible called sanctified and preserved it's a it's a it's a it's a holistic meaning there called sanctified preserved it's a journey that's being described by Jude for the church for the body of Christ called sanctified and preserved that they would that they would understand that they've been called and they've been chosen that we would understand that we've been called and chosen to follow Jesus Christ called sanctified and preserved, that the Holy Spirit would sanctify us and set us apart. And there's not really a, a, a major theme within the church in this in this generation that we live in today about sanctification because we like to speak about grace, grace, grace. And I, I love grace, but grace in today's message could be defined as the... Uh, As the power for sanctification, that the grace of God would not enable us to continue to be mired in living in patterns of sin, but that those patterns of sin would be broken and that we would be sanctified and that we would be made holy and that we wouldn't be made holy from the outside in, but that we would be made holy from the inside out that the church uh, forever, because we're suckers for religion, the church has uh, tried to, to to somehow engage in external holiness. I don't know if you've ever been around some of those people. They're crazy. I, I grew up around some of them, right? I, I had a piece of that in me for a while that uh, that if somehow if you had a, a a tattoo or you wore certain things or you went to certain movies or you did these things, that those were prescriptive of what was in your soul. But really Jesus said that it's not that it's not what we take into us so much that defiles us, but it's what we it's it's what comes out of us that defiles us. So it's important, right? Raising raising my children, it's not like just a free for all and listen to whatever you want and watch whatever you want. That's not what I'm talking about. But we have to be careful Inside of discipleship, that holiness is not something that we try to promote in people's lives from the outside in, like you need to stop smoking, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop. Yeah, you need to stop those things. But how those things end is because they become crucified to the cross of Christ. And that Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, that it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And so when Christ is living in you, he's producing Jesus' fruit in your life instead of the fruit of all of the pain and brokenness and bitterness that's in us. So it it says, called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Do you, this is good news today. I don't know if you know this, but the church is going to last until Jesus Christ returns. That Until he comes again, there's a church that's being produced, that's being preserved, that's been produced by him, that's being preserved for his glory. That the glory of the church will be something that is lasting because it's Jesus. And so we'll move past that into the second verse because we might take a few too many minutes if we continue at this. Verse two. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And and I just have those highlighted in my notes today. Mercy, peace, and love because that's the will of God that mercy, peace, and love would be multiplied to you. That it would be multiplied to you. That it would be multiplied in you. That it would be multiplied and when it's multiplied to you and it's multiplied in you then it's multiplied for you. Are you listening to me? Some of us have tried to be multipliers. You've never been called to be a multiplier. You've been called to be a Christ follower. Christ is the multiplier. When you follow him, fruit multiplies. When you follow him, uh, mercy, uh, peace, and love are multiplied to you. And beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. There's a word to the church today. We have a common salvation. You don't agree with me politically, we have a common salvation. You don't have the same skin color as me, we have a common salvation. You, you, you believe something a little bit different in end time eschatology than I do? No problem. We have a common salvation. Jude's speaking something here that the church needs to hear that's woven throughout this entire letter. And he, he says it, he, he, he alludes to it in this next phrase when he says, I found it necessary to write to you. I just believe that if Jude was writing this to real life church, he would have included the same thing in there. I found it necessary to write to you. And when we look at that, we're going to see later on in verse 24, it says, and now him who is is able to keep you from stumbling and present yourself faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, both forever and ever. Amen. So what, why is he writing this letter? He's writing this letter letter so that the church would be prepared look at somebody next to you and say get ready because that's that's the message of jude as a message of preparation to get ready, to get ready. And so he says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly. I hope you're taking some notes today because I'm going to teach and then I'm going to preach and then I'm going to teach and then I'm going to preach. And why it was right. He's just wrong. It's not going to take three hours. It's going to take about 35 minutes. Right. And so what what I want to say to you is it says it says to contend earnestly here. That means to fight tirelessly fight tirelessly how many how many warrior minded people do we have in the house today maybe you're watching online today how many warrior minded like like you just feel like a warrior i'm going to be honest with you i feel like a warrior fact I felt like a warrior my whole life I think God made me that way I had to learn what the battles were that I was supposed to be engaging in and what the battles weren't that I was supposed to be engaging in but it's speaking of contending earnestly boy that just sounds nice doesn't it well you need to contend. no no it's saying tirelessly fighting tirelessly fighting for what for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. Well, faith delivered is truth, it's belief, right? So it's talking about contending earnestly, fighting tirelessly for the truth. That's supposed to be something that's in the church today, that the church, that we as the church would fight tirelessly for the truth. That means lies would perturb us, that they would bother us. The untruth, right? That there would only be one reason for untruth to be around, and that would be to dragged into the... That would be that it would get dragged into the light. Untruth bothers me. Lies bother me. I don't like it when something's said... Right now we live in a culture where everything that's being said within our popular culture that's being said as good is actually evil, and everything that's being called evil is actually good. In our culture, unequivocally, everything that's being called good is inherently evil, and everything that is being called evil is only good. Are you listening to me? And so the, the, the demons are doing the demonizing. I just want you to understand this. I'm going to even speak politically for just a moment. You don't have to agree with me, but uh, you'd be wrong because I'm speaking the truth. I'm not speaking about Democrats. I'm not speaking about Republicans. But I am going to speak politically and say there are movements that are happening today. And I want to say this, Black Lives Matter. But the movement Black Lives Matter is a bunch of crud. That black lives matter, and all black lives matter. They matter to me when they're in the womb. They matter to me when they're old. They matter, the, the, the fatherless children matter to me. The culture matters to me. And anybody knows me knows those things matter to me. But, but then the world has taken that and twisted that and demonically flipped that into a movement called Black Lives Matter that's not even about all black lives mattering. It's about, it's about demonic things mattering. And I'm I'm saying to you right now, we cannot buy into that lie. There's something real that's happening in our culture right now, and it's a pandemic, and people are getting sick, and people are dying, but then there's a political movement that's behind COVID-19 that's sweeping away the the God-given, listen to me, I'm not speaking to you about America, it's sweeping away the God-given inherent rights of humans, right? And it's taking them, and it's pulling them into darkness and it's time for the church to start pulling these things into the light. In other words, if you're around darkness, it should bother you, but you shouldn't stay in the dark because you have light. Pull those things which are dark into the light. And it's saying this here, it's saying, it's saying fight tirelessly for the truth. And that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the mainstays of the church, but that has to become a value of the body of Christ right now because there are things that are slipping into darkness. There are people that are slipping into darkness. There's a generation that's trying to be stolen away into darkness. And enough is enough. Enough is enough. And God wants to do something about it, but He's going to do it through you. If you agree with that, somebody say, Amen. So exhorting you to contend earnestly for the for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Verse four. Listen to this. If this isn't the church right now, I, I don't know what is. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who were long, who were who excuse me, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny. Deny only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. The message version says it this way. The message version, Eugene Peterson's message version says, in in, in verse four, um, for certain men have infiltrated our ranks. When I read that, it was just like a bomb going off in my my thinker, in my knower. Because I understand that militarily, the best way to defeat an enemy is not... Is not on the battlefield, but it's in it's within their own ranks. If the disinformation can happen inside of their own ranks, right? If untruth begins to happen inside of the ranks, if if truth is not if truth is not reigning, it says they infiltrated our ranks, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men. And the message says tr- they trade sheer grace for sheer license, doing away with Christ. And listen to me. There's a hyper grace movement that's been in the church for several decades now that, it, that I'm not saying people intended it to be this way. And boy, do I love grace because I need grace. And boy, do I love mercy because I need mercy. But listen to me, there is a hyper grace and it's not even grace, right? It's not even grace because it's, it says it like this. It says they trade sheer grace for sheer license. And this is another word that's been stolen away and, and truth has become a lie and it, it just exists as a lie that this hyper grace movement says you can do whatever you want to do and you can just, you, it, and grace becomes a license to just do whatever you want to do. And if you, if you want to, if you want to cohabit, you know, if you want to have, if you want to have extramarital sexual relations, if you, if you, if you want to dabble in homosexuality, if you want to lie and cheat in business, right, if you want to, if you want to just, you know, become a, 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 a closet, uh drug user or alcoholic and you call it recreational if you if you want to if you want to gossip if you want to steal if you want to cheat on your taxes whatever it is I can't I can't touch them all but if you want to do those things it's okay because Jesus loves you and that sheer license because grace redeems us from those things but sheer license has become because there's been a marriage within the world and the church uh, and it comes with the word tolerance, and the, and the, and the, the, the church has been sold a, a lifeless love that, that, that's the world's, and it's tolerance. And it says, I'm going to tolerate you, I'm going to tolerate, and because God tolerates you. And you know what? God doesn't tolerate me. God doesn't tolerate Have you ever felt like you were disciplined by the Lord? God doesn't tolerate me. He loves me. And when I came to Him, I was a mess. And I still have mistakes, but when I came to him, I was a mess. And he didn't tolerate me as a mess. He loved me as a mess, and because of his grace he reached into that mess and he began to touch me and he began to change me and he began to deliver me and, 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 and I, became, I became exactly what we read here, called, sanctified, and preserved. I became a part of that preserved part of the body of Christ and it's because of grace, but that doesn't mean I'm allowed to just do whatever I want. And if it seems right for me and it doesn't seem right for you, then it must be okay. No, no, there's truth, right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Twice in Proverbs, it says there are ways that seem right to men, but in the end, those ways lead to death. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me, teenagers. Listen to me, younger people, for just a moment. There are lies that are being propagated in our culture, in our school, and they are aimed full front right at you, and they're saying that you can dabble in... in, uh, in, in demonic and witchcraft, you can dabble in the, and you'd say, "Well, what does that mean?" Well, there's all sorts of, uh, that we have them downtown now. You can go get your palms read. There's tarot cards. There's, there's uh, people that uh, want to tell your fortune and tell about your future. And there's, there, there, there It's aimed at you. Listen to me. There is, uh, there is such a devoid of identity within a generation that they begin defining you not as uh, two genders, but as 58 possible genders for your generation. They can't really say that to somebody that's in their 50s or in their 60s because their mind's been made up, right? I'm not saying that that, that, that... that that demonic activity doesn't creep in there somewhere, but this is aimed at a generation. Drugs and alcohol that were illegal, even, I'm young, and even when I was in high school, drugs and alcohol that were illegal now haven't just become legal, but they've become so prominent in homes that moms and dads are growing things that children are using, and listen to me, God has a different plan, but don't allow tolerance to creep into you. Listen to me. Don't allow co- tolerance to creep into your mind and think you're loving those people when you're tolerating them because, listen to me, God loves them and has a plan for their life and they're not going to know the plan for their life if, if people are just tolerating their, their behavior. You can love somebody in the middle of their mess but say, I love you enough not to leave you there. And most of the church has become like the uh, has become like the, the men that walk walked by this this man bleeding in the ditch and then there's this Samaritan man that walks by. There was people from the church, I'm paraphrasing the scripture, that walked by and were too busy to deal with this person in the ditch. But he came by and he didn't just see him in the ditch and acknowledge him in the ditch. He loved him while he was in the ditch. He picked him up and pulled him out of the ditch. He ministered to him all the way through and he left enough with the person that was caring for him that he would be brought back to the fullness of life that God had for him and we need that kind of Samaritan attitude in this generation because there are people that are dying and they are broken and they are, they are destined for um, ungodly things. Mm, hallelujah. Verse 5, But I want to remind you that though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He says, "This is the New Testament." Absolutely, verse six. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he reserved, an everlasting chains of darkness for the judgment for the for judgment of the great day. Verse seven: As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these. Having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, Eugene Peterson says, sexual rack and ruin are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire likewise, also. These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. And yet Michael the archangel and contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not to bring against him a reviling accusation but says the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know. Naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. How do you go the way of Cain? I just want to give you this thought for a moment. You go the way of Cain because you've you've denied the capacity of the blood of Jesus to have an effect in your life, to have an effect in a generation, that somehow that somehow following Christ has become a religious activity that we do when we're allowed to. That somehow we're denying the power. How do how do we go the way of Cain? We go the way of Cain because um, Cain gave a great gift, but it was from the wrong heart, right? God said, God said, you remember Cain and Abel? Do you know who I'm talking about here? Cain and Abel, and uh, Cain is is giving. Uh, he was, the, he was a, a, a crop farmer, and he's giving his crops. But the Lord said, no, no, I'm requiring of you a blood sacrifice. And so Abel is giving the proper sacrifice. You know what, how we go the way of Cain? We sacrifice what we want to sacrifice instead of sacrificing what God is asking us for. Somebody say amen. amen. We've become a generation. We need to repent. We've become a generation We've become a generation that sacrifices, but we sacrifice what we want to sacrifice. We say, God, that's from us. It should be good for you. And he's saying, no, no, no. I, I, I'm requiring from you discipleship. I'm requiring from you your children. I'm requiring from you your life. I'm requiring from you your tithe. I'm requiring from you your finances. I'm requiring from you obedience because obedience is better than sacrifice and we go the way of Cain right when we uh, when we have a great gift but a wrong heart there's there's no there was there was no blood and there was no faith that was released through that through that offering it says for they've gone the way of Cain and they've run greedily in the error of Balaam who was Balaam Balaam was a prophet. Who began to try to monetize his prophecy? Uh, He began to use those against, we see this in Numbers 22 through 24. He began to use these against Israel. He was a prophet for Israel. He began to use these against Israel, using spiritual gifts against God. There are, you say, against God, anything's against God that's not for God. That means that you can have gifts in your life. That you're not using for God, but you're using gifts. The things that you can do, the capacities that you have, the way that God made you. God made you to use those things for His glory. Somebody say amen. If we're using these things for the glory of God, then He is glorified. But if we're not using these things, He's not given glory. I just want to be clear in that. And then it says... um, you have run greedily into the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. You remember the rebellion of Korah number 16, the Levites who rebelled against God's authority. It says that the earth opened up. Now think about this in your mind. This still blows my mind. I'll be 42 this next week. Still blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. Been studying the Bible for, um, every year for the last 23 years. And, uh, when I when I encounter this in number sixteen, I'm just like, well, the earth, it wasn't like a sinkhole. The earth opened up and it swallowed Korah and those that were rebellious with him into the earth, and then it just closed up. I mean, God is that powerful. That should like shake us into our core about the power of God that we have, uh, that we have connected with in relationship with him. And it says this, There are clouds without water, carried by the winds of late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. How are you twice dead? You know there are Christians that have been made alive that are walking around dead right now. Why? Because they're not bearing fruit. A tree is twice dead when it first won't bear fruit, and secondly when it's cut down and ripped out by the root. Twice dead. Twice dead. Speaking to, speaking right now. I don't know who I'm speaking to. I don't know where everybody's at. I don't know who's watching this today, but I know I'm speaking to some people that fall into that category of what Paul was speaking to in Ephesians chapter 5 when he said, Arise, you sleeper, and uh, awake, you who sleep, and arise from the dead, right? But he was speaking to the church, and there are places in the church that are once dead. They have to be careful because they're about to be twice dead. Once you're twice dead, there's no getting it back. You can, you can be in a place, but what, what Jude is saying here, we have to understand. He says, They're clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness Forever. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, saying also, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand saints to execute judgment to all, convict those who were ungodly men among them, all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in ungodly way, and the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which are spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. Who would walk according to their own godly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. Not having the spirit, but you, beloved. Building yourself up on most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit and keeping yourselves into the love of God. I want to give you these three things before we close. But I want to say to you this. I want to remind you that this was written to people who were following God. These readers knew God. When it's talking about the evil that's happening, when it's talking about mockers, when it's talking about people not having the Spirit obviously if it was talking about people in the world it wouldn't make that definition it's talking about people in the church and we have to be really clear and careful about this and so how i mean this is weighty right how in the world how in the world do we get prepared how do we be prepared how do we be prepared not just for today and tomorrow but how do we remain prepared Perpetually. Well, we started this off, and we said that this was written to those who were called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. So, how do we get prepared? How do we how do we understand our calling? How do we how do we live this life of sanctification? And how do we how how are we preserved in Jesus? How does this happen? Well, Jude gives us some clue here in verse twenty, but he says, "But you, beloved." Building yourself up in your most holy faith. It says, building your, so point number one, it's gonna come right from the word today. Building yourself up in your most holy faith. Building yourself up in holy faith. Building up your faith. Look at somebody next to you and say, My faith. You have a responsibility for your faith. You have a responsibility for your faith quotient, so to speak. I was speaking with one of our overseers. Earlier uh, this week, and we're just talking about all of these things that are going on in the world today and, and uh, agreeing on so many things. And Pastor Kelly said something and, and he was talking about God speaking to us and just being obedient to the voice of God. And, and I said, people have to understand. I said, people have to understand that sometimes they're hearing something different from the same God because God speaks to us based on uh, in, in, in a certain way, God speaks to us based on the measure of faith that we have in other words god 's call who's calling you to a higher level, but he'll be you know when it comes to giving he 'll speak to one. To give nearly all and they'll speak to another to give just a little bit. They're both following the Holy Spirit, but he's speaking to them based on the measure of their faith. That means the greater measure of faith that we have, the greater capacity we have to receive what God's doing. That means there are some people that are being sidelined, so to speak, even in the body of Christ, because of their lack of faith. They don't have the capacity to operate at the level of need that there is in the world. But the good news is that we have have accountability for building up our holy faith. And how do we do that? We build up our holy faith through the Word of God. Are you listening to me? it comes through you say well I build up my faith by hanging around other people well I love you guys but I don't just want the faith that you have I want the faith that God has for me does that make sense and the scripture says in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God and so if faith comes by hearing and hearing, there's no, there's no way that we can build our faith outside from the Word of God. So number one, build yourselves, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Number two, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. There are some people that don't even understand this today. I'll take responsibility for that. There are some people that reject this today. Not going to take any responsibility for that. There are people that have forgotten this today and it just needs to be stirred up inside of them. There are people that have made this, this is a big deal, but there are people that have made this a much bigger deal than it actually is. Because praying in the Spirit, in in a sense, is like, I don't know how to do that, I I don't know if I have the right theology for that, I don't know, I don't know. We ask God for something. The Scripture says specifically when we ask Him for the Holy Spirit, that he would not, he would not give us a stone. He would not give us a rock. He would not give us something else. He would give us the Holy Spirit. And it says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't talking about corporately. This isn't talking about. And, and I believe that this is talking about twofold spirit-led prayer. Twofold. Are you listening to me? Say, I thought it was onefold. No, I believe. I believe Jude's talking about twofold prayer. First of all. I believe that the Spirit of God wants to prophetically inform our prayer that when we would get outside of our needs and what we want and what's burdening us after a few moments in prayer, and we would get focused on the holiness of who Jesus is, the righteousness of who Jesus is, the worthiness of who Jesus is, listen to me, that we would, that we would find ourselves in a place where the Spirit of God is actually informing the words that we're praying, and most of us here pray in English, right? We pray a little bit in Spanish, I can pray okay in Pig Latin. No, I'm just saying, um, we pray in English, right? You can understand what you're praying. The Holy, Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit also prays through us through a prayer language that's called speaking in tongues. It freaks some people out, right? Freaks them out. You know what? God freaks some people out too. You know what? If, if, if the ground opened up right here and swallowed me up, you guys would really live in a respect for the power of God you know, for like the rest of your life. It would mark you. Somebody say amen. It would mark you. The, the, the power of God influences people. And it e- either influences them when they're in fear or it influences them because of faith. And God is a rewarder of faith. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen to me. We need, to, we need, to, we need a stirring of the Holy Spirit in the church. We need a stirring of the Holy Spirit in our homes. We need a stirring of the Holy Spirit around our dinner tables. We need a stirring of the Holy Spirit in our prayer closets in the morning and late at night and in the middle of the day, that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of our tongue and begin to pray through us. And when he's praying through us, we don't know everything that we don't even know everything that we're praying, but the scripture is very clear that we're praying built up because of that edification because of those prayers. Do you know that God wants to build you up through a prayer language that the Holy Spirit gives you and that the Holy Spirit would give you that prayer language if you would simply just ask. And if you have more questions about that, I'm super happy to answer those questions for you, but I want to get to this I want to get to this next point. I want to say build yourselves up in faith that comes from the word Build yourself up in prayer and the Holy Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit. And then keep yourselves in the love of God. It's the last thing I want to say to you. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Three things. Build up your faith. Pray in the Spirit. And keep yourself in the love of God. I'm going to be honest with you. For some of you, maybe the first one's hard. Maybe the second one's harder. The third one is really hard. Without the grace of God, which has been misappropriately um, taught in the church for so long. The grace of God is the power of God to do right even when it's easier to do wrong. The grace of God is not the license to do wrong even when we know we are supposed to do right. The grace of God is the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit to in the midst of adversity, in the midst of a culture where everybody is calling good evil and evil good, where where it seems like we're going to just keep getting pulled and pulled and pulled, closer and closer into this hellish environment, that the power of God, that the grace of God would come on us and we would be able to keep ourselves in the love of God. Will you listen to me for just a moment? We need to understand the love of God so that we can keep ourselves in the love of God. Some of you people that have experienced the Holy Spirit, you might be praying right now, that somebody next to you might get a prayer language in the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. It's a done deal if you understand the love of God. If you don't understand the love of God, Romans chapter 8 says that you were not born again into a spirit of bondage that brings fear, but you were born again into a spirit of adoption by where you cry out, Daddy God. It's defining two different relationships it's defining two different groups in the church. One group in the body that feels like they, they have to strive for something that God has already provided for them. And another group that understands that God is the best father that's ever existed. That fatherhood is modeled after him and that he loves to give good gifts to his children. And that's the love of God. And the love of God, I said this once before, but I'm going to hammer it one more time. The love of God is not tolerance. God loves people, but He doesn't like things that steal away from people. I'm just going to put it that way. God loves people. You know why He doesn't like alcoholism? Because it steals away from people. God loves people. He radically loves people. There's little things that He hates, Because they steal away from us, but he loves us, right? And he loves people in the middle of alcoholism. God loves people, but he hates homosexuality. You know why he hates homosexuality? Because it steals away from the identity of who people are. You know, he hates fornication for the same reason. He hates extramarital affairs for the same reason. He hates open marriages for the same reason. Why? Because it steals away from people, and it's identity-stealing sin. Right? God God loves people. This is what I want you to get. And He loves them, but He'll love somebody that's caught into the middle of something that's stealing away their very soul and who they are. And He'll say, I want to come down into that place and I want to pull you up from that place and not leave you where you are, but take you where you're supposed to be. That is the love of God. And it says here, Keep yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? That means the way that we deal with people is different than the way the world deals with people. Because I don't have to look at somebody and say, I think whoever you identify as is just totally fine with me. Because it's not. And it's not. It's not okay with me. Not because it grosses me out or not because... no. It's not okay with me because it's not okay with him. And it's not okay with him because that's not who he created you to be. And he loves you. He radically loves you. But because of his love, if you'll receive from him, he will not leave you in that place. He will not leave you in that sin. He will not leave you in that bondage. He will not leave you in that lie. Keep yourself in the love of God. That means yourself. But that means also the way you operate in the people around you. There are people that say things about me. There's people probably they are going to watch this video and they're going to say something about me. You know what? I know who I am because I know whose I am. So that doesn't really matter to me. Just, just being honest. That's not that I think I'm perfect. It's just that I know that I'm, that I've, that I'm being perfected. And that I'm being preserved in Jesus Christ. So it says, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And on some, ha- listen to me. This is how we deal with the world. We've got four minutes. We've got to get through two, two or three verses here and we will. And on some having compassion, make a distinction. But on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire not a popular thought today not a popular thought today that we would would that we would treat people differently right we, we got to treat everybody the same isn't that what god does doesn't he treat everybody the same is there any parents here today is there any just by the show of hands is there any parents here today do you treat all of your kids the same you don't does that make you a horrible doesn't that make you a horrible person you don't treat, you're not fair You don't just give them all the same, right? No, no, they have different capacities to handle different things. And some of them, I can raise my voice and I can say, Maxine, and tears will start rolling down her face. Other ones of them, I can say, Wyatt, and he'll go, what? (laughs) Right, they're just different people. It says, some of them... Listen, listen. This isn't talking about just your kids, though. And some of them have compassion making a distinction. You're making a distinction. You're saying, this person needs compassion, right? This person has had the snot beat out of them by the world. They've had the snot beat out of them by the church. And they just need to be cared for. They just need to be loved. They just need to be picked up. And so we pick them up and we love them. But it says, make a distinction because there's some... But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Have you ever had to do that before? It's like, it's like, what are you doing? Get out of that! Get away from that! And people are like, "Whoa! Why? Why is he? What, is he angry? Is he? No, 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 no! He's just passionate. He just doesn't want to see. He doesn't just want to see you caught in those things. You know that God exemplifies both of them in our life. Both within, both within compassion and within discipline. They're in the same, they're in the same element, and they need to be in the same element in the church today. It says, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. It says this in verse 24. He kind of he ends as he begins. And this is great for us to end this way today. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Who can keep you from stumbling? He can keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Who can present you with faultness before him with exceeding joy? He can. I just didn't want you to think that you could do this because now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to our God and our Savior who is alone wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Stand to your feet in this place. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus right now, knowing that even in this room, God, there may be people that aren't in the place with, with their uh, lives where they are right with you, where they have a relationship with you. And God, some that you would wrap your arms around today and, and comfort them. Holy Spirit, would you comfort them right now? And God, some that you would shake to an awakening, would you shake them right now? Father, that you are not pretending with the world. And that grace is not our license to continue living in, in apostate lives and in sin. But that grace is our capacity to live like you and to live sinless father i pray god that you would speak to hearts right now that would be away from you and that there would be an awakening right now
1: hi this is pastor andy shaver and i hope you've enjoyed this message you know the greatest joy of our ministry here is to see people encounter god in a relevant way and discover his plans and purposes for their lives We exist to see their eternities altered through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can have present and eternal peace, no matter what your present circumstances are. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that He has a heart for the hurting and the broken. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 teaches us that if we confess our sins to him, Jesus is faithful to hear us and forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to do that right now. Until next time, remember God loves you and so do we.